That amazes me because I've been in the startup world for the last 15 years. And all the years, everyone has praised the fact that now we have a lot of investors in the early stage startups, and that is fantastic. And when I look into the early stage startups, and when I take a cryptocurrency, there's no doubt in my mind which one of them are the most risky ones. Yeah. So in cryptocurrency, I can see way years be uh, before all the data, mm -hmm. everything is visible to me. I can see the number of wallets, the transactions, all the history is actually visible for everyone. I can look into the white paper, I can see what I'm actually investing in. Mm -hmm. When I go in and invest in an early stage startup, I hear an idea and I see a team. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what I know. Right. I also know for a fact that within three years, 90% or more than the early stage startups, they will have, they, they're dead. So my investment is for sure a risky one. But I've never seen the authorities in Denmark, for example, going out and say, don't invest in early stage startups, it's so risky. But we see it with cryptocurrencies. So I think the dialogue about how much can the authorities actually go out and warn against something that might be risky. No one is actually arguing mm -hmm. that uh, crypto is risky, but a lot of other things are risky too. So Karina, thank you so much for, for coming down here today. It's great to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, so let's just start by telling us uh, who are you and what you do. Yeah, so uh, I'm Karina Rotofrex. I am a country manager in FIRI in Denmark. Um, and FIRI is the largest uh, Nordic crypto exchange. So uh, we are very much settled in the Norway. And uh, now we're moving into Denmark. So uh, I'm heading that. Great. All right. So, so the largest Nordic crypto, crypto exchange. exchange. Yeah. All right. So tell us a little bit about what does Fury do and what makes it the largest. So the largest is a number of uh, trades and the trade volume that we have on the platform. And in terms of what makes us different, it's uh, what we are. Our cornerstones is to make crypto available for everyone. Mm -hmm. So it has to be easy, accessible has to be provided by a safe provider and it has to be compliant with all the rules in the local areas that we are in. So in terms of now we've been in Norway for the last couple of years, moving into Denmark also requires that we are compliant with the Danish legislation and we work very uh, much on being a local partner. Mm -hmm. So it means that the platform and the, um, the app, the website, the customer service, everyone is in Danish. And it would be the same when we move to Sweden. Okay, all right, so, so you've got further expansion plans across Definitely. the region. Yeah. Okay, that's wonderful. So let's just get into the subject matter a little bit. Let's talk about crypto. Yeah. So we've, we've heard all sorts of things about crypto. Some people say that it's the thing that's going to save democracy and that it's a decentralization is the future. And we have other people that claim that crypto is just nothing but a Ponzi scheme and are very, very discrediting of the entire concept. Do you think that any of these views have any merit? I think that views have merit in itself when someone actually perceives it that way. 
So enough people are perceiving it as a Ponzi scheme, then it has some kind of merit. But whether it is a Ponzi scheme or not, that's a completely another question. Right. So I definitely think that it's valuable to listen to both the ones that think that Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme or just created for illegal purposes mm -hmm. and the other ones as well. But I also think that um, the challenge is on us who actually don't believe it's a Ponzi scheme. And I think the ones, the, us that are in the space have a huge task to actually educate mm -hmm. and show what data shows and why all the use cases that shows that it's not a Ponzi scheme. Because looking from the outside, um, Bitcoin or crypto is not different than someone just coming into our society and looking at gold and metal, not knowing our history in our society mm -hmm. and asking, but why is gold more valuable than silver, for example? And why is this metal, why does it have a value at all? Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be any metal for someone who comes from outside. But right. because enough people in our society through history has decided that gold has a value, then it does have a value. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with Bitcoin. Enough people around the world on the network has decided that it does have a value. And the more it expands, the more value and the more safe it gets. Okay. So now you might say that people around the world, millions of people have decided that Bitcoin does have a value and it's been existing since yeah, 2009. So if you know that background and history, then you might look into it as not just a Ponzi scheme. Right, and when we talk about Bitcoin, is it is it correct to assume that whatever applies to Bitcoin is also true for other cryptocurrencies in general? Or? No, I think that we have a, a great challenge in explaining that crypto is more than cryptocurrencies, mm -hmm. that it covers, it's about a lot of different things, but I think we have to begin with actually explaining what cryptocurrencies are. Mm -hmm. That Bitcoin has and is different than Ethereum and the other blockchains that exist. But first of all, in terms of the, um, the ones that say that it's for criminal purposes or a Ponzi scheme, we really need to explain why we think that it's not even suitable for illegal purposes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's if you know something about blockchain, you know that it's transparent and you know that you can track it. Right. Um, so just that uh, information is valuable to say, then that in itself, it makes it hard to actually be usable for criminal, criminal activities. And then I also think that we know now because the industry is maturing. So we know now that data actually shows that there is much more in percentage illegal activities mm -hmm. in the financial systems that we use today than on the crypto okay. exchanges. And that we know for a fact. So I also think that we have, um, we need to educate people and explain that the system that we have today is not flawless. Mm -hmm. And this is actually a technology that can make it uh, like better in the terms of preventing illegal activity. Um, but I, I want to ask a little bit more about that because when we when we hear about Bitcoin, we, we also hear about this whole idea of decentralization and, and almost that cryptocurrencies are built on a very different set of values and principles than what the current system, like as you say, the transparency and the anonymity, uh, the, the, the democratization of, of the entire process. So in, in your view, 
does it fit in with with the way in which we run our societies, our economies, and our, our political systems? When introducing a, a monetary system that has other ideals and other values at, at its core. I think it's a, it's a natural development in a society when people feel that the ones with power are not using the power properly. Mm -hmm. When they're misusing the power, then we tend to see that society and populations are doing revolutions in any kinds of ways. So we've seen that through history. Now we see a revolution that is based on technology mm -hmm. because we can. We couldn't 20 years ago, but now we can. So I don't think that the human behavior is that different than what we used to see. Now we can put it over and it's as soon as the power, people get too much power and misuses, you get the revolution. And that's what we see today. Whether it's going to fit into the system we have today, not if you ask the ones who have the power. Right. They will definitely keep the power because they have it. So why give it away? Um, but I think that there are also um, powerful people that mm -hmm. look at society with new eyes. And I think that the uh, case with Musk and Twitter, for example, is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. When I hear him talking about making Twitter a more democra democratic place to be, I hear him talking about blockchain and decentralized autonomous organizations, people having a voice and removing this centralized power to actually choose what is right and what is wrong in terms of news, for example. Right. So I, I think that it's a, it's a natural development in society. And for sure, what we see right now is the revolution and the power people fighting in mm -hmm. the financial systems. Uh, and uh, we'll see if they're not going to integrate some of it and the, the power People who have power will contain some power, but they might open up uh, in some other areas. Right, so I, I guess then the, the premise of my question is, is perhaps to be challenged, right? That maybe maybe we should not be looking for something that necessarily fits in with the, with the, with the current system, but for something that actually preserves the values that are important for society, whatever those might be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Let's talk now about Web3 and, and, and decentralization because Bitcoin, as you say, has been around for 13 years. We've all become accustomed to at least hearing about cryptocurrencies, even if maybe not all of us fully understand what they are. But all of a sudden, we're hearing about this additional terminology that is it's new to our, to our lingo, at least to most of us. So can you tell us what Web3 is? <clears throat> so what is Web3? I think we need to understand what Web1 was, mm -hmm. right? In order to, if you ask people, the internet is just the internet. And it's only when you sit down and look at the development and the evolution of the internet that you have this one, two, three mm -hmm. uh, web thing. So Web1 was the one where we just put everything we had on paper, for example, very like, um, and put it onto the net where you can go in and solely read or write into it. Mm -hmm. So that was the one. Um, and then the first version, I know we talk about Web 2, but I actually like to say uh, the first part of Web 2 was the one where we could go in and then we can also put in content. Mm -hmm. But there were still some powerful um, companies that received that information and did with it what they wanted to do. Mm. Then the second version of Web2 is the one that we're in currently right now, where we have those platforms and the great players like Google, Facebook, Facebook or Meta um, are on it. And I 
establishing this platform where people can come together and they can interact with each other. You can create things on the web. And so, but it's still the power and the data is still in the hands of the big players. Mm -hmm. So the difference over to Web3 is that it becomes much more decentralized. So you put the power more into the hands of one each of us. So the data is not, you don't have to go into a platform that is owned by a third party, but you can actually go into the blockchain that is owned by millions of people. And then you can act like yourself and you own your own data. I know you act like yourself on the platform that we know today, but you're still putting in informations and building up, for example, um, a YouTube channel or any something like that. And you put all your time into it, but you don't know where, whether it, they're going to close it. Mm -hmm. So they still have the power to just mm -hmm. either remove your content or sell the data or they have all the power. That's the difference uh, when you look into Web3. Then we're also going to see that the technologies that we've been talking about for a lot of years, like virtual reality and AI, are coming, becoming so much more mature that they actually create amazing experiences for us as human beings. That wasn't the case like uh, three years ago. So with those technologies, we can actually create virtual worlds that can combine with our physical world. So we get this gateway into Web3 that is uh, much more open and much more technology-based than we're used to see it today. Um, a small example can be the one that the, the way that we shop, for example, or buy things on the internet. Today you go into a web shop, it's one like dimensional, and you just scroll and scroll. Mm -hmm. When you find something that you want to buy, you swipe and swipe, and then you click. So in the next version, you're actually going to use those VR AI to go in to the shop. So you go into a shop like you go into a video game mm -hmm. and you see all the things that you want to buy. You might also put it on like your avatar who has the same measures as you in the physical world mm -hmm. and see if it fits. Plus, you can go into the shop with your best friend that moved to Australia, for example, one year ago and whom you haven't seen. So you can meet up in that in that shop, just looking at those new sneakers that came out yesterday. And maybe you even had the possibility to customize it before they actually are going to produce it. So it opens up, Web3 opens up a lot of uh, new perspectives in terms of what you can do as a person. Okay, so I, I understand the decentralized model of, of Web3 and how you become part owner of especially your data and your content. How does, how does crypto play a role in, in Web3? I don't know yet, <laughs> because it's not there yet. But my assumption would definitely be that we will start out with seeing the same um, way of using cryptocurrencies as we see in the gaming world today. So if you ask any teenager, and that's 90% of the teenagers in the Western world that are gamers in somehow, they know what a coin is. They know that they can buy skins in the game. They know that they can, with the coin that is in the game, they can go and they can build a house and they can produce something. They have those trade-offs in, in the game. Mm -hmm. um, and the cryptocurrency will be the same thing in the Web3 and in the metaverse. 
with then one exception that it's not today the coins that you actually you buy you take your fiat you buy coins in mm -hmm. a in a game and then it's in that game mm -hmm. it's only in that game you cannot move it into other games or you you cannot move it out again so you cannot take your fiat out again for a lot of the popular games at least but with cryptocurrency you can so the cryptocurrency would be the coins in the game, but it will also be the crypto that you can take into the physical world and you can uh, pay uh, like an ice cream at the, um, at the candy store or you can go and you can sell something in the physical world and you can then put the coins in and build a house in the metaverse. So it will be this way of actually making payments through the different worlds, games, but mm -hmm. also your um, existence in the virtual worlds and in the physical worlds. So it interconnects the different worlds okay, in terms of payments. Right, so I think so far, at least that's what I've heard, is that cryptos are not really money because they cannot be used for paying for things. There's mostly like asset classes or just something to hold some value. So what you're saying now is that we do see a future in which cryptos become a payment mechanism, at least within within virtual worlds. Is that is that right? I think that it's not um, it's not giving that it's not going to be that way. I'm not sure that it's going to be that way, but time will see. But the the technology and the way that the young generations are actually using coins and are behaving in the virtual worlds are showing us that it might be a possibility. Yeah. And I think that a lot of us that are not from the gamer uh, generation have a hard time like imagining that that could be the case. Mm -hmm. But for the ones that have spent a lot of their uh, childhood in the gaming um, worlds, it's not that odd. It's natural. Yeah. And those are the ones that are going to build like the next uh, ways, the next businesses and, uh, and also define their future payment systems. All right. Okay. So now, uh, a couple of, of minutes ago, you you said the M word. You talked about the Metaverse, metaverse yeah. <laughs> uh, which we now hear everywhere, right? Yeah. So I think I think yeah. there's a, there's a lot of speculation as to what is going to be and and what what is it. I think a lot of people haven't really experienced any Metaverse that, that, that are there. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the question that I have for you is. When we moved from Web 1 to Web 2, we saw a, a, an explosion of, of, of business model innovation. Would you, what do you expect to see when we move from Web 2 to Web 3 in terms of business models? I think that uh, we're definitely going to see some new business models. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think that if you Google new business, new business models in the metaverse, for example, you see a lot of articles that explains about new products. Mm -hmm which mm. is not a business no. model. So we have to distinguish between what are new products and new experiences uh, and what are the way that you actually build a business model being like usually it's nine com components that you put together, your customer and your channels and so on, and then you combine it in different ways. So we have to distinguish between that. Um, I think that um, to look into what new business models we're going to see, we have to look into what the technology actually is capable of blockchain mm -hmm. technology that we don't have today because that's where the differences are going to be right. um, first thing is the one that when you build things on a blockchain you can remove a middleman mm -hmm. not every middleman but the ones that are uh, providing value that is based on the 
they are just acting as a trust provider between the different parties. Mm -hmm. If a middleman is just acting as a trust provider, then you can remove it because then the technology can take over. Okay. That is your trust. Mm -hmm. uh, so in that sense, we'll see a lot of new business models because you, because you can remove the middleman. Right. And you can do that in every industry. Um, so that's one of the things. The other thing is that with the technology and when you build it up with uh, being a network where people have an equal say and they can actually provide, they can co-create or crowd-create, I would call it, mm -hmm. and they can make those community-based companies that are worldwide, like per definition, mm -hmm. um, so born global, We've heard it before with the scale-ups, with the tech scale-ups, yeah. but here it's really born global right. and maybe born universal in, uh, in some years. <laughs> so, um, so, so that is actually opening up for business models that are crowd um, models, but also community models. So where the community is actually the, the first thing that you need and then the product and the idea comes second. So you move it, oh, like, wow. uh, you switch it around. Um, then we've got the whole technology that we see in NFTs. I know that we talk a lot about that, oh, NFT is just like a picture and ha ha ha, who would pay a lot of uh, millions for a JPEG and so on. But what we miss is that behind the NFT is a unique possibility of actually coding what is uh, the ownership. Mm. So with the Web3, um, we can send ownership from, I can send it here from me to you. Um, which is new because we couldn't do that before. Mm -hmm. So we code in the ownership um, and the way that we want to divide our profit, for example, into an NFT, mm -hmm. which opens up to a completely new business model uh, with, in terms of royalties. And we've seen it right with the um, artistic world mm -hmm. because they have pretty quickly seen that if I produce a piece of music, when I sell it the first time, for example, or it's a, uh, let's take a painting, that's a better example. When I sell it the first time, then I just receive the, the profit or the income from that sale. But I've sold it to you, but if it was an NFT or I combine it with an NFT, when you resell it, like mm -hmm. 10 years later, then some profit or fee would go to the initial creator. Right. So we, we easily can make those royalty-based business models that makes it more sustainable for actually the ones that are creating things because they don't only uh, get the profit at, on the first sale. Wow. Yeah. So, wow, that's so mind blowing. Yeah. So a lot of the uh, a lot of the new business models are actually coming from the the things that the new technology can add to our current uh, business world. And, and and that would work presumably with some sort of smart contract attached to the NFT. Yeah, and you code it into the NFT, and it might be different uh, depending on which change you're using. But the uh, the essential is that you can that you can do it. Oh, that's super exciting. Yeah. All right, so let's let's uh, shift gears a little bit and let's talk about the Nordics in general. Mm -hmm. We've seen that there is a very different willingness to adopt crypto technologies across the different Nordic countries, which is very strange because they're very similar in many other ways. Yeah. Why would you say that is? I think there's several reasons for it. Um, I think that in terms of uh, legislation, um, there's much more clarity in some Nordic companies, uh, Nordic um, countries than in others. Mm -hmm. 
Now I know mostly Denmark because that's where uh, I'm based. I also have a background in uh, Danish law, so um, I know something about it. Um, and it's uh, completely unclear and very messy mm. uh, the ways that we have uh, crypto um, taxes in Denmark, for example. Um, and we have um, we haven't uh, managed to actually make an easy way to um, t- tell about the taxes. Like, how do we actually put it on when we? Um, how do you say uh, when you actually have to tell if you have a loss or you have a gain? It's mm-hmm. it's it's very difficult. Yeah. And that is on top that it's very difficult to actually calculate what is the gain and the losses. So that's one of the things that is very unclear. And we are in in the Nordics and in the in Denmark, we are very te- tax focused. I mean, we have one of the highest tax pressures in the world. So we like to know if I do A, then it means B. Mm-hmm. We like mm-hmm. to know this. So that's uh, I think a lot of people are holding back on that term. Okay. Um, I also think that if, if we compare a bit about the numbers, uh, two years ago in Norway, for example, only 4% of the population owned cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Today is about 10%. So there is a wow. development, and I would be very happy to say that that is approximately when Firi came to Norway, right. and hence that... Uh, <laughs> but if you look at the numbers of, um, of people actually using Firi, we're not that far of actually being responsible for um, the um, the increase in the percentage. And uh, so I really think that in terms of, um, for example, Norway, Denmark, the uh, lack of having a place and a local safe um, platform to actually trade or invest in cryptocurrency mm-hmm. does make a difference in terms of how many people are actually adopting it. Mm-hmm. Adding to the fact that the um, that the rules and the uh, the tax rules are so messy right now. Um, another thing that I can say across the uh, uh, the Nordic countries are the fact that the Danish media and the Danish authorities as well have been very. Um, how can you put it in a in a nice way possible? <laughs> We've not seen the full picture of the potential that crypto and blockchain can actually provide to society. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the media are very sensational based, and it's very much about oh look at this, he became a billionaire. Oh no, now he lost it all again, right. and that's pre- pretty much the game of the media. Mm. So clickbait, and we really want to know this sensational story. So that's what they're going for, not going into depth about what is it is actually. About, um, so I really feel that we need to, um, yeah, provide. I said it before, a lot of edif- information and education also to the media. Um, then there's something that uh, continues to amazes me is that we have um, uh, in Denmark, like the banks, um, but also the authorities, going out and warning against actually um, engaging in cryptocurrencies. Mm. And that amazes me because I've been in the startup world for the last 15 years. And all the years, everyone has praised the fact that now we have a lot of investors in the early stage startups, and that is fantastic. And when I look into the early stage startups, and when I take a cryptocurrency, there's no doubt in my mind which one of them are the most risky ones. So in cryptocurrency, I can see way years be- uh, before all the data, mm-hmm. everything is visible to me. 
I can see the number of wallets, the transactions, all the history is actually visible for everyone. I can look into the white paper, I can see what I'm actually investing in. Mm -hmm. When I go in and invest in an early stage startup, I hear an idea and I see a team. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what I know. Right. I also know for a fact that within three years, 90% or more than the early stage startups, they will have, they're, they're dead. So my investment is for sure a risky one. So, but I've never seen the authorities in Denmark, for example, going out and say, don't invest in early stage startups, it's so risky. But we see it with cryptocurrencies. So I think the dialogue about how much can the authorities actually go out and warn against something that might be risky. No one is actually arguing mm -hmm. that uh, crypto is risky, but a lot of other things are risky too. Right. You're, you're so right. This is so interesting. Um, the the follow-up question I have about this is, do you think that these same differences that exist between the Nordic countries could also play a role in how, how likely people are to, ad, to adopt the metaverse as a, as a, as a as well, let's say metaverse economies as a way of transacting and developing economic activity? Um, no, I actually think that um, as soon as the, uh, the legislation from EU <laughs> are in place um, and we have the new rules in 24 uh, around those different systems, there will come new rules all the time because we don't know how we are going to use the metaverse. But uh, I, I think that then we will, because we're so interconnected in the Nordics, so then we will definitely adapt <laughs> and, uh, and go and use it more um, and look what they do in, in the other countries and, um, yeah, and go along with it. So I don't see that um, if you look into the years, <laughs> we will not be several years behind in Denmark uh, as compared to Norway as we are right now in cryptocurrency. That I, I'm not uh, foreseeing that. Right. Um, and now we're talking about like the metaverse is out there. Mm -hmm. If you look uh, to Asia, for example, the metaverse is not out there. We've got like platforms where teenagers, I think there's one of the biggest one is called Sepito. They have 250, um, 250 million teenagers are actually creating their own skins for their avatars on that platform selling it and then they are so i mean saying that the metaverse is like in uh, five to ten years I, I don't completely agree with that right so that that's just perhaps uh because there's a blind spot of what's actually already happening in other in other parts of the world yeah and i also think that if we if if the metaverse is a completely copy of all the things we can do in the physical world yes it might be five to ten years mm. but if it is a world that is under construction yeah. we can definitely go in there or we can interact with the physical world then i think it's just around the corner all right and let's talk a little bit about regulation um so isn't regulation partly defeating the whole idea of decentralization and not having a central orga organization or a central institution that dictates what happens within the network uh, how do you feel about the, the, all the regulatory developments that are happening around the crypto space? I have law as background, so that's an odd question. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need regulation. Yeah. Um, but I also think that we need to understand what, why we are regulating. Are we regulating to uh, increase innovation or are we regulating to actually keep the status quo? 
So those are the two different things. But people and society and groups need regulation um, in terms of to know what are expected. To back to the fact that if I invest in A, what can I expect in terms of B? So some regulation we needed. And we also needed, I don't think that um, anyone in the crypto space don't want mass adoption Mm. because we want to spread it out. And if we want mass adoption, we need regulation. Right. So mm. it's just a um, matter of who are we regulating for with the purpose of privacy, data, and more democracy, mm-hmm. or more securing the power where it is right now. Right, okay. Um, you've also mentioned that it's necessary to educate the general public about the, the risks and the pros and the cons. Mm. Um, my question is, what is Fiery doing in order to educate its potential customers about the crypto space? So we um, are doing several things. So we send out newsletters to actually show what is um, the different use cases, how can you use it, what is happening around the world. Um, then we have those explainer uh, videos mm-hmm. also about what is the different elements. We want to do much more about it uh, and looking into, I know the latest newsletter that came out uh, yesterday was also about showing how MIT and Harvard are stepping up in terms of having cryptocurrencies on the courses. Um, so, and we really want to be a pl- player in that field as well, mm-hmm. um, inviting all the, the Nordic universities to actually look into this um, and maybe co-create some courses and go into depth about not just what is cryptocurrency, but also how do you use it, what are the ethical aspects of it, all those um, things that actually make it a natural thing in our modern society. Right. So, um, so we definitely want to do much more uh, about it. Um, yeah. Great. So, so something for our audience to look into if they want to know more about what's going on. Mm. And, and then the, the last question. If we look out three to five years, what do you expect the, the, the crypto economies to look like in that span of time? I expect it to, to be much more if uh, we're talking in the Norwegian uh, like area. Um, I expect it to be much more um, equal or similar in the different countries. Um, I expect that regulation will also increase mass adoption also for the big players. Uh, The pension funds and so on are waiting for the regulation to actually be there before they can go in. Germany has been a bit forward in actually looking into providing access for their pension funds to invest in cryptocurrencies. But I think the big push will come there. And I think that we will then become, have those more um, nuance, 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 yeah. Yeah, nuanced. Nuanced, yeah. yeah. Um, discussion about what is cryptocurrency and how do we use it. And then we'll, not in the next three years, but in the next five years, we'll see what blockchains are good for what. Mm. So right now, there's a lot of blockchains. Some are good for something and some will be useful for other things. Um, and the same with the, with the cryptocurrencies. And some of them will disappear. All right. Well, Karina, with that, thank you so much for taking time to speak to us. Uh, it's, it's a really fascinating conversation and you've certainly given me a lot of food for thought. It was so nice being here. Yeah, no, thanks a lot. And uh, we, we look forward to hearing more about what Fiery does in, in, in the Danish market, in the Swedish market in the, in the months and years to come. Definitely. Thank, thank you. you.